Well, good morning. Welcome. Uh, we are actually in week seven of ten now uh, of our story form series. We only have a couple weeks and, and narratives left as we're kind of going through this thing. And we've been, if you've missed out, if you're kind of joining us in process, we've been walking through the Bible as, as basically one big narrative, one big grand story, and, and seeing what God has been up to since the beginning of time all the way until today. And, uh, and we're at the climax of that story. We're, we're at the, the very pinnacle and the peak of what it means to be part of God's story in Jesus' death and resurrection which may sound like a, a funny thing to cover since we're sort of in the Christmas season, but really that's what Christmas leads to, right? And, and so if we're people that only celebrate this and only look at this uh, on Easter Sunday, we're actually not being formed by the story in everyday life. Um, so I just want to encourage you in that. S- since we've got you know, just a couple weeks left to go in this, really press into the story. I, I encourage you really to uh, take some time to... Uh, listen to what God is saying to you through the story, maybe respond. If you haven't had a, a chance to use our dialogue time to, to shoot some feedback uh, back at me or to bounce some questions or, or whatever, really use this time because we only have a couple weeks where we're doing this uh, in, uh, on a Sunday morning together. The last week, as John mentioned, uh, we're going to be completing the story-formed series in the life group. So uh, the life group leaders and the groups will be doing the same thing that we've been doing as a large gathering, just as a smaller gathering. So you'll be telling the story, dialoguing over the questions, asking God, what is it that you have for us? What kind of people do you want us to be? And so we're going to wrap it up that way. Um, So so if you're just recalling last week, okay, we we, uh, saw... That, that we were going through the story and we got to the life of Jesus and some of the works that, that he did. And we saw that uh, Jesus in his life, uh, he was a pretty popular guy, right? Everywhere he went, he was followed by crowds and a lot of those crowds wanted to see him perform miracles uh, and heal people, which he did on a regular basis. And, and we talked about that as being evidence that Jesus is actually God in the flesh. And all of those miracles are pointing to the fact that Jesus is more than just a human being, right? And we also saw that Jesus had, unlike anybody that we've seen in the story so far, the authority to forgive people of their sins. He had power over creation the way that we've never seen anybody in the story have before. He had authority over demons, and he cast them out regularly. And, and he even, we even saw one instance where Jesus raised people from the dead uh, and how awesome that was. We also learned about, a lot about the kingdom of God, right? And primarily that the kingdom is something that is founded and lives within our own hearts. Um, and, and we saw a powerful picture, if you remember, a story of God's love um, in the story of a father for his son, that even though the son uh, chose to get his inheritance from his father and walk away from the family, the father lovingly welcomed the son back and threw him a party. And, and how, how much of a picture that was of forgiveness and blessing that God has for each of us who come back into his family as well. And then finally we saw that, that Jesus is really the only way to the Father, right? We've been talking about this since the very beginning. What is the primary issue that humanity has faced since the very first story? What is it? Sin which does what? Yeah, it causes this massive separation, right? And because God will not allow evil to stand in his presence, 
he casts Adam and Eve out of the garden. He says, you can no longer eat from the tree of life, and now you're going to live outside of my blessing. And, and since that time, we've seen over and over again that humans' primary problem, their, their major overarching issue over everything, has been this sin problem that, that has, been, has gone sort of undealt with. It's been managed, if you remember, through some of the sacrifices that God said to his people that they can, they can do, but it hasn't been dealt with, right? And so that's kind of led up into this point. And we've seen now Jesus say, I am actually the only way that you guys can overcome that issue, come back to the Father into relationship with him. Um, so we're going to pop right into uh, this week's story, and uh, we're going to be talking about the death and resurrection of Jesus. And I really encourage you, this is, the, this is the pinnacle week, right, of the story. If you think about it, history from the time it began up until today, if you were to mark one moment in time that was the climax of the story, the, the very moment in time when we had to, to see what life is really all about, it is in Jesus' death and his resurrection. And yet for so many of us as Christians, we tend to look at this story and we go, yep, Jesus died for my sins, you know? Like, do you, do you ever feel that? Maybe even this morning as you kind of come into the table, you're like, you know, I, I, you, even knowing that we're going to look at that story, it just seems rote to me. It just seems like, you know, the same old thing that I, I've been living in. Well, I, I want to invite you maybe to, to press into it a little bit differently than you have and let the reality of what it is, what it really is, wash over you in a new way. And, and I pray for you, really, that the Holy Spirit would allow that to happen for you that God would really be opening your heart to a new way, that you'd see it from a, a fresh perspective with new eyes, because it is the point of the entire thing, okay? So let's get right into it. Jesus and his disciples traveled to Jerusalem for the Passover festival. We've heard about that before. Everywhere he went, he had compassion on people and met their needs. The Pharisees and other Jewish leaders were becoming increasingly upset with Jesus and his claims. He continued to tell people that he could forgive them of their sins. And this enraged Jewish leaders because they saw this as the ultimate disrespect to God. They looked for ways to trap Jesus into saying something that they could arrest him for, but Jesus was always too wise for them. Many of his stories pointed out the hypocrisy of the Jewish leaders. And Jesus said, when the Pharisees and teachers of the law share with you God's commands, listen to them. But do not follow their example. They don't live out what they teach. The high priest met with these leaders to discuss capturing Jesus and putting him to death. We can't arrest him during Passover, they all agreed, or it will create a huge riot. Jesus and his 12 disciples met together in a home to celebrate the Passover. During the meal, Jesus picked up some bread. He thanked God for it and he broke it into pieces. Giving it to his disciples, he said, Take this and eat it. This is my body given for you. Then Jesus picked up a cup of wine and he thanked God for it. He gave it to them and he said, All of you drink this. This is my blood given for you. A new covenant between God and his people. It is poured out to forgive the sins of many. Remember me when you continue to eat and drink these things together. Jesus told them, when you see what happens tonight, you will all abandon me. It is part of God's plan that I will be betrayed and die. 
But do not fear. I will rise again from the dead. He knew that his disciple Judas would betray him, and bring, bringing Jewish soldiers to capture him later that night when nobody was around. After the meal, when it was dark, Jesus went to pray. And filled with pain and sorrow, he pleaded with God, Father, if there is any possible way besides my death that your will can be accomplished, let that happen. But I will do whatever you ask. Just as he had, as he had finished praying, Judas showed up with an armed mob. He greeted Jesus with a kiss, a sign to show the guards which one they should arrest. Jesus said to them, Am I some kind of dangerous, dangerous criminal that you need weapons to capture me? No, this is part of God's plan. Just as the prophets had predicted long ago, when the guards arrested Jesus and dragged him away, the disciples ran away and hid. The guards beat Jesus and brought him before Jewish leaders for questioning. They asked, Are you the Messiah, the Son of God? And Jesus answered, I am. And you will see me seated next to God in power, coming back on the clouds of heaven. When Jesus said this, the high priest tore his clothing in horror and he said, Any man who claims to be God must be put to death. Then they slapped Jesus in the face and spit on him. Jesus was brought to the Roman governor, Pilate, since Jews could not execute anyone without official approval. The Jewish leaders stirred up the crowd and pressured Pilate to have Jesus put to to death. And they shouted, crucify him, crucify him. But Pilate feared a riot would break out, so he handed Jesus over to the Roman soldiers to be crucified. Crucifixion was the most cruel and humiliating way to die. Jesus was brutally beaten and whipped by the soldiers. They pressed a crown of sharp thorns into his head and put a purple cloth around his shoulders. Hail to the king of the Jews, they laughed. All night the Roman soldiers continued to beat Jesus and mock him. When morning came, they led Jesus to a place called Skull Hill. And like a criminal, Jesus was nailed to a heavy wooden cross between two thieves. Hanging there, he cried out, Father, please forgive them. They do not know what they're doing. At noon, darkness filled the sky, blocking out the sun for three hours. Suddenly, the thick curtain hanging in the temple tore right down the middle. At that moment, Jesus shouted, Father, I give you my life. It is finished. Then Jesus breathed his last breath and died. The soldiers broke the legs of the criminals crucified next to him to speed up their deaths. And when they had found Jesus was already dead, they didn't break his legs. To be sure, one of the soldiers stabbed him in the side with a spear, and blood and water poured out. Late Friday afternoon, Jesus' body was taken down from the cross, wrapped in long strips of cloth, and buried in a rich man's tomb. A large stone was rolled over the entrance to the tomb, and Roman guards were posted to make sure nothing would happen to the body. Early on Sunday morning, some of the women who followed Jesus went to prepare his body for burial. When they arrived at the tomb, they saw the stone was rolled away and the soldiers were gone. Suddenly, two angels appeared. They said, Are you surprised? 
You're looking for Jesus, but He is not here. He has been raised from the dead. The women were excited, but afraid, and hurried back to the disciples with the amazing news. Some of them ran back to the tomb and looked inside for themselves. Jesus was not there. In fact, Jesus appeared to his disciples many times over the next 40 days. They touched him, saw him eating food and performing miracles again. Jesus reminded them of his teaching about the kingdom and opened their minds to understand how the whole story of God that has led up to him. Over 500 people saw him alive. So let me ask, as we uh, are kind of remembering the story then, why was Jesus going to Jerusalem? He was going for the Passover. What do we know about that celebration? What have you heard so far from the story? It's an annual celebration, right? They did it every year. Yeah, Mark, the last day of oppression in Egypt. Yep. Great. What else? Yeah, so there was an angel of death that passed over the houses with the blood of the lamb on it. And so they were, the Jews now at the celebration were commemorating that act, right? Um, so they would remember that as part of their heritage and history, that they had been saved from slavery. Always, it's funny, always with the mindset that God would do something like that again. Because who's the oppressor now? It's not Egypt anymore. Who's the... Yeah, it's Rome, right? So in a sense, they're, they're under the same kind of political domination that they were those hundreds of years ago. They're in a very same, very similar context, right? And so can you imagine what that would have been like to gather in that day and age, just hoping that God would show up and reveal himself and kind of ransom people out of, uh, out of bondage and slavery. So, so how does um, the Passover story that we've heard earlier remind you of Jesus' death? What's the link? What's that? It's the final Passover. In what way? Yeah, it's the bloodshed that frees us from death, yeah, and slavery. Slavery to what? to sin, right? It's funny because the, the, if I'm you know, part of the Jewish people at that time, I'm probably thinking to myself, I want nothing more than the Romans to be gone. You know, I, I want that foreign oppressor to be out of my life, to be able to worship God freely. And what's the real problem? As we've already said, it's sin, right? It's the fact that even if, even if Rome wasn't over them and, and they were their own nation, there is still an issue at play, Right? And that issue doesn't lie outside of the people. It lies within our own hearts, right? And so we need, in a sense, and what Jesus came to do is a Passover that releases us from the bondage of our own hearts. Because even when we're not oppressed by something external, we find something to enslave ourselves internally to, right? And we've all done this. This is pretty common in our day and age too, right? America is the freest land in the entire world, right? Anytime even somebody tries to impinge on our freedoms, there's like mass riots, right? (laughs) When you go to other parts of the world, you learn just how much freedom we have. And yet when you walk around, and maybe you've experienced this in your own heart, at your workplace, in your neighborhood, how much bondage do we all live in? A whole heck of a lot, right? How much of that is self-chosen? 
It's a lot of it is, right? We're enslaved to all kinds of things. Yeah, and the reason that they were celebrating Passover year after year is was so that they wouldn't forget, right? Because we're so prone to forget. And that's why G, uh, the Jewish nation had all kinds of money and time reserved for all these festivals throughout the year so they wouldn't remember all the things that God had done for them. Because how often, did, you know, Monday morning we start to forget the story, right? You get into your cubicle and you're like, man, what, what was God up to? What did he... What was he about? I don't know. I'm just doing my work. You know, it, we forget. We need that reminder. And, and yet in the midst of that reminder of the old, Jesus is kind of coming in with the new and, and bringing new life to it. So, so what do you think Jesus meant when he said, I want you to take this and eat it. This is my body given for you. And drink this. This is my blood given for you. A new covenant between God and his people. Well, what's Jesus saying there? He's saying he is the Passover lamb. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, he, does, he doesn't just eat it for everyone, right? Yeah. Yeah. So there's a, a bit of an invitation there, right? Into a new kind of covenant with himself. He's saying... Yeah, yeah, it's a one-on-one type thing, right? All of a sudden now, it's a it's a me and you kind of thing. Right. Yeah, yeah. So there's a bit of that heart check, right, where we have to come to the table and go, "I really need you again," you know. Like th- that's the worst thing in the world, by the way, for you to come up to the table to take. Um, the grape juice symbolizing Jesus' blood and the, and the bread symbolizing his body and, and say, yeah, I'm, I'm taking this, but I don't really feel like I need it. I'm just sort of doing it because it's ritualistic to do. And maybe the, you know, the context that I come from, it was just the kind of thing where you come and you, you did that every week without thinking it. You just sort of turn your mind off and you do it. Um, you see a bit of a different picture there, right? Because he's saying, I want you to do this in remembrance of me. So when you come up, remember how needy you were before you met me. Like, and, and, and by the way, what is your need today? You know, do you have any present needs where you feel like you, you need God to intersect in, in your world? We should be coming up with those being present on our mind and saying essentially to God, you are the answer that I'm looking for. I, I search for it in a bunch of different other ways, but the way that I know I'm going to find it is through the forgiveness of, of what you've done on my behalf and because your body was broken and mine wasn't. I get to leave here in freedom because of what you did for me. That's what communion is. We don't talk about that often enough maybe, but that's even the reason why we do it every week is because of that remembrance because if we don't have that to remember by, then, uh, then we're prone to forget. So, so what was God's old covenant with his people? Jesus said, I'm bringing in a new covenant with God and his people. I'm establishing something new today. Let, let's, so we need to 
remember what the old one was in order to contrast it with the new, right? So what was the old covenant that, that God had given? It was rule-driven, right? Yep, so um, if you remember from the story before, it, God said, um, I'll be your God, you'll be my people, and the way that you continue to be my people is that you continue to live out the law. Remember, and we saw Moses give the law, and he said, now, what was the purpose of the law? Do you remember? I'm not, we're recalling a few stories ago, but what was the purpose? At the time, yeah. Yeah, to kind of set, to set his people apart so that they would live by a different construct than the rest of the world, right? That God had made. Yeah, good point. Yep. Um, what else about the Old Covenant do you remember? Yeah, so there's that element, right? We, we couldn't... How did, how did God do at keeping his covenant with the people? Did God fulfill his end of the bargain? Always, right? I mean, we saw it over and over again. How many times did God pursue his people? Always, right? I mean... They don't deserve his, his pursuit, and yet he continues to pursue them, right? How did Israel do with their end of the covenant? Terrible, right? Yeah. If you were giving them grades, it would be a D if that, you know? I mean, not, not great at all. Um, and so, wh- how is the new covenant different then? In what way do you think? What's Jesus pointing to? has nothing to do with us. Yeah. What did Jesus come to do? He said, I have not come to abolish the law, but to, to fulfill it, right? So, so Jesus is, in every way, accomplishing what we can never accomplish. Um, so if you think about the new covenant, he's basically saying this. If the old covenant is, I will be your God and you will be my people, The new covenant is, I will be your God and I will enable you to be my people. That's good news, isn't it? Like, not only is God going to uphold his end of the bargain, but he's going to uphold our end of the bargain too. Do you see that in the new covenant? God's going to keep both sides of the deal because he's done it through his son. How is this good news? We can't do it. It's done for us. It's finished. How else is this good news? <laughs> Somebody's calling with the answer. We got a phone a friend going on. Yeah. <laughs> Let me ask this then. Do you believe it? Do you really believe that, it's done, that, that to be in relationship with God, God not only upholds his end of the bargain, but he upholds yours too? Or do you often feel like on Monday morning that you have a lot to accomplish in order to get back into God's good graces? You often feel a tension in life where... You know, if you know you're not in close relationship with God and you haven't done everything right, 
you feel the weight of guilt on you that you somehow need to go back and like retrace your steps to get back into good relationship with him? What's the good news of this have to say to you? You don't have to do it. Yeah. God's grace is new to you every day because Jesus already did it. Do you believe that? Or do you believe that there's still something left to do? Sometimes. I do too. Yeah. I I was kind of feeling that after the last few days where I just haven't been feeling great. And I haven't felt like doing much of anything other than laying on the couch and having my eyes closed. And um, so, you know, TV hurts my eyes, reading hurts my eyes, praying hurts my brain. Like, you know. (laughs) And so I'm just, I just feel like the last two or three days I've just been on autopilot. Like there's been a pause button pressed in life. And and I, this morning and last night when I started to get a little bit of clarity as we were, as I was preparing for today, I'm thinking to myself, the, the thought came over my mind, man, I got a lot of ground to make up. Like if tomorrow morning is going to be good, or if this morning is going to be good, I got to work back up to that. Like I need to get the spiritual juices flowing again in order for this to be a, a great morning where God's spirit shows up. So you preach the good news to me. What do I need to hear? What's that? It's finished. It's Yeah, he does all that in Christ. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you for that. It's not about me, is it? You know, that's the other aspect that I've been coming to grips with. The story's not about me. You know, it, it, it's about God and what he's doing through it. And, and because it's finished, I can participate in that regardless of my past. So I just encourage you with that. I hope that, that washes you anew. That you're like, holy cow, I, I don't need to like leave here and feel guilty that, that I haven't kind of done all the steps that I should have done in order to get myself right with God. That, that actually Jesus fulfills the law. He fulfills everything that I couldn't. And then he gives all of that to me in his grace. And so you're right, all I have to do is accept it, right? You know, how often do we have just a difficult time accepting it as it is? So why do you think the, the curtain, you remember the curtain in the temple? What was that all about? Do you remember what that was for? Um, there's a massive curtain and it separated a couple different things. What did it separate? Yeah, it se- separated the Holy of Holies, which was where? What, what was significant about that place? Yeah, the presence of God was dwelling behind that. And, and so that was a major separating piece. If you remember, I don't know if you covered this in the story, but um, the, there was only one person who could go behind that curtain one time a year in order to make atonement for the sins of the entire nation. There's one guy, the high priest, on the Day of Atonement, and he had to go through a whole bunch of rituals, right? 
a whole bunch of washings and cleanings and do this and do that and kill this animal and go here. All in preparation for this one moment in time where one guy can go in and, and be in the presence of God without dying. You know? So what's happening here? Why did God choose to rip this curtain in two at the moment when Jesus dies? The separation's gone. How so? What's that? I mean, what are the implications of that? Yeah. Anytime, all the time. We can be in the presence of God, right? Without fear. Um, Yeah, exactly, right? Yeah, we have access to God. Without fear. I'm sorry, what did you say? (laughs) It was profound. I know that. (laughs) Without ritual, yeah. 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 How's your walk doing? How's your closeness with God doing? Do you feel close to Him? Do you feel like He's present in your life? Here's what I want to encourage you with. That, that there is nothing standing in the way anymore. Nothing. There's nothing that you've done. There's nothing separating you. There's absolutely nothing standing in the way. I hope you hear that from the story. There's nothing in the way any longer the way that there was for thousands of years. Thousands of years. Think about that. One guy on one day of of the calendar year could be, could stand in the presence of the living God. One guy. And now all of us, anyone. The Bible says with boldness we can we can make our way into the throne room of God. That's amazing news, isn't it? That's amazing. So do you, uh, I'm sorry, go ahead. Yeah, did everybody else get get a chance to hear that? Um, So kind of being honest about the way that we feel in terms of our connection with God, but then realizing and applying the truth of what's actually happening to our feelings. So we may not actually feel like we're close to God, and yet the reality is that if we're part of the kingdom, God actually lives within us. And so sometimes we need to be reminded of that all the time so that we can keep our feelings in check. Because otherwise, our feelings tend to dominate the way that we feel. We just don't feel like we're close to God when the reality is very much different. Sometimes we can do that for ourselves. Um, and we can kind of preach the gospel to ourselves. Sometimes we need other people to do that for us. And we, we just need to go into a group of people that love us and know the gospel and say, look, here's how I feel today. I just don't feel it. And, and to have a community of people come around you and say, that's not true of you. Here's who you actually are in Christ. I want you to walk in it. That's, a, that's an amazing thing, I've got to tell you. It really is. Yeah, not, yep, not only do we ha- do that to ourselves, but we have an adversary that loves to come in and kind of play with our feelings and exacerbate them too. Here, I want to move us on just to, just to the next question here. Do you remember what Jesus said when he was hanging on the cross? Yeah, forgive them because they don't know what they're doing. How could Jesus possibly forgive those people who are killing him? 
Because he loves us? Yeah. That was he, he was sent to do. That was his mission, right? Yeah. What else? Because he's God? Yeah. Because it's what God wanted? Yeah. What else? Yeah, he doesn't he doesn't put condemnation on those who are in slavery. He puts the condemnation on his son, who then sets slaves free. It's a great way to put it. Do you believe that God can forgive you of the things that you've done in your life? <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> do we walk in that reality? I mean, do we live our lives that way? Totally forgiven, free. What would that look like to do that? What would life look like if we were people who continually walked in the reality that we're forgiven? Yeah, Glenn. Yeah, we would forgive ourselves. How is that important? Yeah. Yeah, what's more true about us, the work that God did on our behalf or the fact that we can't forgive ourselves? Who, who are we allowing to be the greater judge if we can't forgive ourselves? It's us, right? Yeah. Yeah, we'd have peace about our future, right, and our present. Yeah, that's a great point. See, if we really believe that, we, we wouldn't walk around feeling guilty all the time for the things that we don't do. We, we wouldn't probably walk around looking to gain the approval of everyone we come across or the people that we perceive to be in a position of higher authority than us. We, we wouldn't live our lives to earn something from them because we'd have something already, right? We just live with freedom. We would live with the freedom that comes with knowing that we're completely forgiven by the one and only one that it really matters to get it from. Yeah. Yeah. I have everything I need, and therefore I can give everything away, right? That's, that's a great analogy for it. So how is Jesus being raised from the dead significant? That's kind of the other half of the story that we've looked at so far. What does it show about him? Why is this significant? Yeah, he's, got, he's got authority over life and death. He's eternal. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, he keeps his promises, doesn't he? That's good to know about Jesus, isn't it? Something we love to question about God in general. Yeah. He conquered death. So he, in a sense, right, he, he is overcoming the very thing that kept us from God and the result of it. He is overturning all of that. Human sin and rebellion, he's saying no longer are these things going to stand in the way of a relationship with God. It, it is all taken care of. It's finished. I've gone before you and done this first. You see, I mean, we talk about the cross 
as being the exchange for our sins, and it's good to do so. But we can't talk about that just in isolation because we need to understand when Jesus rose from the dead, he actually secures new life for us too. We get to see a picture of life post-death, life the way it was meant to be lived, way back in the beginning, the way that God had designed it, walking close with him, a life that is freed from the chains of death. Jesus is experiencing that after death, and he's saying, this is the life that I've died to secure for you. I want you to look for it. Yeah. And certain questions. <laughs> I, may direct, I may ask you guys to answer. Yeah, that's a good point. I don't know if you heard that question. Does Jesus still get up early in the morning to spend time with his father after resurrection, or does he not need to do that anymore because he's walking in the presence of his father? I don't know if we have any examples of it. We see Jesus doing a lot of normal stuff, which is really encouraging to me to know that in heaven we're going to eat. I don't know why. And in fact, the best picture that we have of the consummation of God's um, activity on earth and in heaven when he brings both of those things together is a, is a wedding feast. It's actually sitting around the table and saying, we who are in need, and oh, by the way, every time you gather around a table, this should be going on in your minds. I who am in need am coming to the table with my brothers and sisters, um, and I'm having that need met by something that's outside of my body. I'm going away satisfied. I come to the table in need. I find my needs met at the table because God's, God's providential in my life. He brings every good thing. And so what is the biggest example of God kind of bringing a close to his story is people gathering, and we're going to see this in a few weeks when you guys are in life groups, um, people coming to the table saying, we were in need, and yet the lamb who was slain is now king, and he gave us his life. And we sit around the table because he's done that for us. We love him. Well, he was in a human form, right? Uh, hence the need to eat. Because he, he even has hunger. If you see, he goes and has breakfast with his disciples. But I see what you're saying. There is definitely something different about his appearance, about his humanity that we haven't seen before. So I'm... I just don't know the answer. We, we, we have seen Jesus being filled with the Spirit before now. That was the reason that he could do the miracles that he was doing. So we know that there was a, a presence of God within him unlike anybody that lived, and yet he still spent time communing with his Father. So I don't know if we have any actual pictures of that. If you find one, you can email it to me, and uh, I'd love to be corrected on that. So from what we've seen so far... And, uh, and taught through this. How, let's just kind of summarize for us all. How can humans be set free from the penalty of sin? Set free from death and separation from God. How does that all happen now? What's that? 
We already have. By what? By his crucifixion and his resurrection. What's our part in it? Yeah, we accept the gift, right? Yeah. What does that mean? What does it mean to accept the gift of what he's done for us? How does that look in practicality? Yeah. We need to believe it. Another way to say believe it is to put our faith in it, right? Is to put our trust in the work of Jesus' death and resurrection on our behalf. To allow those things to atone for us our sins and our death, and to exchange his righteousness for our unrighteousness. So we've spent the last seven weeks looking at this story, and I hope that you're just really struck with the reality that this is a true story. It's true. In every sense of what true means, it is true. This, this story actually happened. It is pl- has played itself out and will continue to play itself out. That this is a story about a holy God that has pursued his sinful and rebellious humanity with the desire of restoring them to a close and loving relationship with himself. That's what God has been about since the very beginning. That's what his mission has been. Do you see how this is God's story primarily? That we get to be a part of it, but it's primarily God's story? Do you see that? So if I were to ask you this, whose story are you living? What would the answer be? It would be God's story, right? So is our story primarily about us or is it about God? (laughs) You can confess. We're listening. (laughs) Yeah. Well, when you say we're hu- when you say we're human, I'll choose not to hear the rest of the conversation that we're on. When you say we're human, what were humans created to do? Who's, whose story were humans created to to live out? God's, right? We were image bearers, and so for us to say, "Ah, we're human," it's really to deny who we are, right? How often do we hear that? Ah, we're human, you know. Or, or we, yeah, nobody's perfect. We minimize. Right. Yeah, yeah, and that's true. Who do, who do we identify with? Are we identifying with the Adam that failed in the garden? Or are we identifying with this new Adam, Jesus, who fulfilled the entire law and yet does it for us? When we say we're human, we should actually be saying that with a whole lot of gratitude to God, that we actually get to live as his restored, redeemed image bearers once again. To be human is actually a very powerful thing, right? In the way that God originally intended it. So as we talked about, you know, we talked a lot about the kingdom of God, that Jesus has been the perfect king and the, the only king that we've ever seen in the story that always does what's good, right, and perfect. And another word that the Bible uses for king is that he is Lord. And so this word Lord kind of gets used 
I don't know, thousands of times referring to God and Jesus throughout the Bible. So I, I want to just, we've come to the end of Jesus' life, so I want us to be clear as to what we've seen from Jesus, who he actually is. Because sometimes we get a little foggy on that or we forget certain aspects of it. Um, so, so I want to summarize for us what Jesus is Lord over and see if it doesn't have implications for our lives, okay? Just as we're kind of bringing this whole thing to a close. But so one of the things that we've seen is that Jesus is Lord over demons, right? How have we seen that? He casts them out, right? The demons actually, when Jesus is there, he goes, don't send us far away, you know, Jesus. It's kind of a recognition that he's the Son of God. They are completely submissive in his presence. Jesus even says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. So what does this lordship over demons mean for our lives? What are some of the implications of that for us? Yeah, he can cast out our, our past mistakes. Um, yeah, absolutely. Yep. Yeah, he's, he's stronger than everyone in the story so far, right? So what does it mean that he's stronger than everything if he's our Lord? What's that do for us? <laughs> yeah, it should give us great boldness, right? If you were, I don't know, back in the time where there were a lot of kings and countries, if you were an ambassador of your country and you were marching into a different country to kind of, as a representative of your king, and you knew full well that your king was far more powerful than the one that you were marching, than the nation you were marching into, how much confidence would you have under that banner? You'd have a lot of, like, if it were the opposite, right, you're going in kind of timid. You know, like, I shouldn't say the wrong thing, because if I do, this king may king kick my king's butt, you know, or he may string me up or, or whatever. If you're, if you're walking under the banner of the most powerful king that's ever lived, how should you live your life? <laughs> Without fear. With great boldness, right? Proud. Yeah. Yeah. I live and breathe under the banner of King Jesus who will one day be the king of everything and every knee will bow and every tongue confess that he is Lord. It should give us a great amount of boldness, right, when we live our lives. Jesus is also Lord over humanity. We've seen that too, right? We talked about Adam and his failures, but Jesus comes in as kind of the perfect Adam, the only perfect person that's always done what's good, right, and perfect. So what does his lordship over humanity mean for our lives? He's in charge of my boss. Amen. Yeah. Yeah. How how often do us many of us make decisions based on fear? Because we're afraid of what the government might do, and so that changes our, you know, our, our course of action. We're afraid of losing our job. 
maybe, and so we decide to, to take a different course of action. We make a lot of decisions based on fear over the future, right? You know, if Jesus is Lord over humanity, then you have nothing to fear. Do you know that? Jesus is also Lord of righteousness. We've seen righteousness means to be in right relationship with God. That because he perfectly did what we don't do, and that he submitted and obeyed the Father perfectly, he now sits as this righteous judge. He gets to declare what is righteous and alone what is perfectly good. And so that makes him the only perfect judge as to what's right and wrong. So what does that kind of lordship mean for our lives? For Jesus to be lord over righteousness and judgment. What implication does that have? If Jesus is the greatest judge in the history of the world, what does that mean for us? Yeah, that's a great one, right? We don't need to judge each other anymore. Yeah, even if we fail, we can entrust our heart towards him. And that frees us up from living for the opinions of other people. Our boss, our spouse, ourselves, our parents. I mean, some of us live under the opinion of our parents long after our parents are gone. You know that? I mean, and our, we live our lives trying to live up to a certain expectation of performance because this is what mom or dad would have wanted for me. If Jesus is the greatest judge in your life, guess what? You get to lay that expectation down. You don't have to live under it anymore. Because Jesus is the, the good judge who has done what needs to be done on your behalf. And you can look to him for the final judgment in your life. That's good news, isn't it? That's really good news. What kind of a judge is Jesus, by the way? He's just, yeah. He's right and good. He's gentle, right? All-knowing. And at the same time, he's absolute, right? Sin will be judged by Jesus in the end. And yet he's a gracious judge. All right. Compassionate, yeah. He's a judge who's walked in the shoes of those he's judging, right? That's good news, isn't it? Yeah, he's our advocate too. Yep. Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. You know, Jesus lives and breathes to advocate for you on a daily basis. When you feel like there's nobody on your side, I know many of us have felt this way in life, where you just feel like we go through life and everybody's kind of against us or doesn't have our back or drops the ball when it comes to relationships or just, I mean, do you ever feel like the whole world's against you sometimes, some days? You have an advocate that lives every day pleading your case before the Father. Forgive them. Remember what I've done for them. They're, they're good, right, and perfect in your eyes. They are beloved. They're in your kingdom. All right, Jesus is Lord over salvation too. The only way to the Father is through his sacrifice and offering. So what is Lord, 
him being Lord over salvation mean for our lives? I'm trying to attack this from multiple angles. I hope you can see that. We're secure in our salvation. Yeah. Do you, you ever want to run to something else to find satisfaction? And do we run to movies and music and video games to find some kind of escape from the world because we just we need to turn off the switch sometimes because we don't want to deal with life? Ben and Jerry's, yeah. <laughs> Salvation through ice cream, right? What's the good news of what him being Lord of Salvation means to us in those instances? He's the only one that's going to satisfy us. Every time we run to something else, we're going to be unsatisfied. Yeah, it's a temporary thing. Jesus is saying what? Come to me. All you who are weary and burdened, all of you who are burned out on life, come and experience the grace that comes from knowing me. He's Lord of salvation. And finally, he's Lord over death and sin. We can come to him and have him overcome those things in our lives. I hope you're able to see, I mean, what is Jesus Lord over? If you could summarize everything that we've talked about. Everything. He is Lord over everything and every person who's ever lived. I think the key question for us that we'll wrap up with, and I want to pray us through it, is Jesus Lord over our lives? We've come to the the climax moment in the story, and I think we all need to be kind of honest with where we come to this story from. And even as the kids are coming in and kind of, you know, they've been going through the same story too, so this is a good question for them as well. Is Jesus Lord over our stories? Do we find our, our salvation, our hope, our our humanity, our righteousness, our power in Him. Is that there for us? I just want to encourage you that this can be true today. And it is true. And even if you haven't received forgiveness for life and and you've been maybe living a life under your own story with your own self-rule, that you can ask Jesus to be Lord and King in your life from this moment forward. And we've seen already from the story that He fulfills His promises. He does everything that He says He'll do. So I want to encourage you that as we go to Him in prayer. Ask Him to fill you with His Spirit so that you'd know some of this truth. Father, we do thank You that Jesus is Lord over everything. And, and so we come this morning with the recognition that so often we, we want to look for our humanity in ourselves. We want to look for our righteousness in our works. We want to look for our salvation and other good things that you haven't chosen to provide. We want to look for power in some other way than the power that comes through the Spirit. And so we come in need. And I pray, Holy Spirit, that you'd be giving us a recognition of our need today. That as we come to the table, we would be present with something on our minds that says, 
I am in need, and I know that in Jesus I will find the answer for my need. God, thank you so much that you sent your Son. And I pray, Holy Spirit, that you'd let us experience the fullness of what that means. As we come and we worship and we praise you, God, thanks thanks for your story. We pray that we'd find our story in it. Amen.